Gospel of John, chapter 1. And the passage I've been given is verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, ending with the words, full of grace and truth. Now, understand that you're beginning a series on John's gospel on Sunday mornings. At least that's what I was told when I agreed to come here. And I was asked to uh, kick off that series. They asked me to introduce the gospel of John. They asked me to preach on verses 1 to 14. And they asked me not to be too long on the 1st of January. I really don't know how it's possible to do Uh, all of these things, but I'll try and do some of them. Now, this is an amazing gospel that you're beginning uh, to study, one of the richest books uh, in the Bible. I'm not going to try and introduce uh, the whole book now, but very soon you will find some of the greatest stories in all of Scripture, things and people you know about, like Nicodemus, and the new birth, or the Samaritan woman and the water of life, and so on. One story after another, where Jesus says and does the most amazing things. You'll also find lots of miracles. John has seven miracles, signs, in the first half of his gospel, beginning with the turning of water into wine, and uh, climaxing In chapter 11, is it, with uh, Lazarus coming back? I I confess I greeted David Robertson at the door with the word Lazarus, and maybe I I don't know how he reacted to that. But you'll hear these amazing miracle stories that say so much about Jesus, seven of them. And then there are the great I am sayings. There are seven of them scattered through a good part of the book. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, these kinds of sayings. You'll also find that John is very rich theologically and in the kind of language and symbolism that he uses, all kinds of depths in John that you need to be alerted to. And sometimes John seems to be saying more than one thing at the same time. It's a very, very deep and profound gospel. It's the most amazing book because, as has often been said, a child can understand so much of what John is saying. Yet the greatest minds in history have spent their whole lives studying John's gospel and never got to the end of its profundities. So you're setting out on a very interesting journey at the beginning of this year as you explore the gospel of John. I need also to confess as we begin that I'm not terribly interested in New Year. Um, We were asleep last night when everybody else was bringing in the New Year. I've always loved Christmas as the best time of year. And to me, I'm afraid New Year is a bit uh, of an anticlimax. So I love Christmas, but I want to remind you of a couple of dangers about Christmas that actually we're going to address here today. One is that sometimes at Christmas, 
people begin with the baby, as if that's where the story of Jesus starts. It doesn't. The other danger at Christmas is that people end with the baby, as if all that Jesus came to be and to do was to be a baby. We'll find that that's not true either. We mustn't begin with the baby. We mustn't end with the baby. As John's gospel will show you every single week, there is so much more to Jesus than that. As we work through these 14 verses, I'm going to try and say a little about each of four different things. First of all, I want to think of the Word of God. Then secondly, the light of God. Thirdly, the children of God. And fourthly, the flesh of God. Just simply working through the verses as they are in front of us. First of all, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And eventually John will say in verse 14 that the Word became flesh. The Word, of course, is Jesus. Now, all of the Gospels begin the story of Jesus in different ways. as has often been pointed out, I know. Mark goes back to John the Baptist, as they all do, but it's John quoting from Isaiah or John fulfilling Isaiah. So back to one of the prophets long before Jesus came. Mark goes back to Isaiah. The Gospel of Matthew gives us a genealogy of Jesus, takes a story back to Abraham. So Matthew is saying Jesus fulfills the Abraham covenant. Gospel of Luke, in the third chapter, Luke decides to take his story all the way back to Adam, gives a genealogy of Jesus all the way back to the first man. But for John, that's not far enough. John says, in the beginning, picking up on the language that begins the whole Bible and saying, at the very beginning, before anything was, Jesus always was. He wants us very deliberately to think in terms of Genesis 1 when we read John 1. In the very beginning, Jesus always was. Just quickly look at the way that he unpacks this for us. He seems to me to be saying, for one thing, that Jesus, the Word, was eternal. In the beginning was the Word. He's going to tell us in the following verses how other things came to be. Verse 3, creation came into being. Verse 6, John the Baptist came on the scene. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. But the Word just was. Before anything else, the Word just existed without any beginning. In the beginning was the Word. 
There is no beginning to the story of the Son of God. The Word always was. He also tells us that this Word was personal. The Word was with God, you see. It's the language of towards God. The Word was in fellowship with God. We know, of course, that that's a reference to the Son of God and the Father being always in fellowship with one another. God was never lonely. God was always love. And John is reminding us that the Father and the Son, God and the Word, were always in fellowship with one another. Then he says explicitly, and the Word was God. Lest we're missing the point, an absolute statement that the Word was divine. No qualification. And the whole gospel is going to move to a climactic confession towards the end, where Thomas, who had doubted, will fall and say, My Lord and my God. The Word was God. And in verse 3, he talks about the power of the Word, the creative power of the Word. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. You see, the Word is on the side of the Creator, not on the side of created things. Jewish people knew that there was this distinction between God and everything and everyone else. God was the creator. Everything apart from God is created. And John is saying, Jesus is the eternal word who's on the creator side of the divide. Jesus has always been. Jesus is the personal one. Jesus is the divine one. Jesus is the one to whom everyone and everything owes their existence. So you see how John is introducing his gospel by saying to us that the person whose story he's going to tell has a story that never had a beginning. As God, he always was. People are fascinated by back stories of things. You know, you watch something and then you want to know what happened before and people bring out uh, a prequel to tell you the back story. Reading in the papers yesterday about a fictional character, of course, the back story of Morse. And tomorrow evening, there's a program about Endeavour, the young policeman in 1965 who was to become the famous Morse. People want to know Morse's backstory, <laughs> even though Morse never existed, really. And here is John saying, if you want to know the backstory of Jesus, well, this is it. It's the story of the Word. It's a story that never had a beginning. And it means that I'm telling you in this gospel, he's saying, that this Jesus deserves your worship. 
At the beginning of this gospel, he is saying, worship the person whose story I'm beginning to tell you. He deserves everything that God deserves. He deserves nothing less than God deserves. He is worthy of all the praise and homage and love and amazement and obedience that God has always deserved. Worship the Word. Worship Jesus. Make this a year where we truly worship Jesus and give his name the honor that he really deserves. The Word of God. Secondly, let's think about the light of God. You see from verses 4, I think really right through to verse 10, there's this theme of light in association with Jesus. He's the light of men. He's the light in the darkness. John comes as a witness to testify about that light. He's only a witness to the great light. The light that gives light to every man was coming into the world, though the world was made through him. People didn't recognize the light. They didn't see him for who he really was. Now, to tell you the truth, if a few minutes ago, uh, I, I pulled out of a children's talk, which was, I thought, going to be a bit elaborate. It was all about light. Uh, there were various stories about light and darkness and stuff about torches. And uh, that's why we sang, what did we sing, Light of the World. Uh, we sang that in the pro- uh, to be appropriate to the children's talk that I had just told. Uh, but I didn't tell it because I thought it would take too long. Um, I also wondered about whether it was right to ask people to turn off all these lights. A um, little torch here, uh, amongst other torches that I have. Um, this, this you, you won't be able to see it, of course, because I haven't got all the lights put off. Uh, but this is Kathy's favorite gift from her Christmas stocking. Um, she also got Ma Brune's kitchen notebook. And she's been sitting, uh, you know, you clip this on the book. And uh, you click the light on and you can sit in the dark corner. And you can sit in the car, you can sit at the back of church, whatever, and read Maubrin. Bit of Dundee culture there, Maubrin's cookbook. So there was going to be a very elaborate children's talk about light, and uh, uh, I never, never did it. But light is such a huge theme in John's gospel, um, And it's a very interesting theme in this particular passage. And there are a couple of ways you can go with it. And I think myself that possibly both of them are are true, that you don't have to make a choice between them. Though some people think that the first one is a little dangerous because it can be taken in a wrong way. Let me sum them up. It's thinking about Jesus, first of all, as the light of creation. And then secondly, as the light of recreation. Now, I think here John may be doing the first one and also pointing to the second one. So he's doing both. By talking about Jesus as the light of creation, you know, he does say this is the, the, the light that gives light to every man. 
He is the light of men. And he's just been talking about creation. So I think that he is saying something about Jesus as the word who is the light behind everything that is good and wonderful and true and beautiful in this world. Now, the danger of that is that some people think, well, that means that everybody's okay because they've got some sort of access to the light. But no, because John is also going to tell the story about Jesus as the saving light of God coming into the moral darkness of this world because we all need a recreation. We don't just need the light that shines in the world around in God's general revelation and in God's common grace. But we need the light of special revelation. And we need the light of saving grace to come into the darkness of our sin and liberate us from all that that means. But I don't think that that should blind us to the truth of the fact that Jesus is the light in all that is good in God's created world, and that people have access to that light in common grace, but don't recognize it. I mean, just to specify it in relation to one person whose name you may have heard before, Richard Dawkins depends on Jesus for everything uh, that he does that, that is at all good or worthy. For, for any discovery he makes, for what he writes, for his enjoyment of any aspect of life. He doesn't recognize it, of course, but it's the light of the Word of God shining in creation that enables people to think and to compose and to write and to paint and to philosophize and to, dis to discover things in science, and to be interested in peace and justice and the environment and the rest of it. The light is shining in God's wonderful creation. The light is shining in people who bear the image of God. The light is shining in God's common grace as people do all of these things. The tragedy is they don't recognize the source of light and truth and goodness and beauty. And they don't give any of the glory that he deserves to the Jesus on whom they depend for their next breath and for their next thought, for their next insight. So the word of God who became Jesus is the one who is behind everything <clears throat> that is good in this world. The light shines. But he's also, as John is going to make clear, the one who comes into a world of sin a world of moral darkness, to be the savior, to be the liberator, to be the one who brings the light of new creation that shines in our hearts, enables us to see uh, God. John is going to illustrate this in various ways, as you will see. Uh, in chapter 3, you remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. There's a night in Nicodemus' own experience. He's coming in a darkness, and he's coming to ask Jesus for help. At last, we believe Nicodemus, by the end of the story, has seen the light. 
Or you'll find Jesus in several chapters further on in the gospel at the Feast of Tabernacles. And Tabernacles was a great feast which had ceremonies of water and of light. So because of the water ceremonies, Jesus says, come to me and drink. And because of the light ceremonies, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he talks to people who are walking in darkness and he calls on them to follow him. And then he heals a blind man as a dramatic example of the way that he can bring light into the lives of people. We are in darkness. We are blind spiritually, morally. But Jesus comes into our lives with his recreative light and enables us to see, enables us to know God and follow God and walk in the light instead of walking in the darkness. As we stay close to Jesus, we are staying in the light and able to walk with him. There's another thing for this new year, that it might be a year where we commit ourselves to staying close to Jesus so that we walk in the light every single day. Thirdly, I want you to think about the children of God. Verses 11 to 13, where John says that Jesus came to his own things, but his own people did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he became the right to become children of God. Then John says that they are born of God. Jesus has come so that we might be family, so that we might be part of the family of God, receiving him and coming into God's family with the son as our brother and the father, his father, as our father also. Of course, people need to receive that Jesus. That's what John is saying to those who receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gives this right. And then John also stresses that all of this is also only possible by the regenerating power of God. He says they are not born of natural descent or human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So you see what John is doing? He's giving us, as it were, the two sides of Christian conversion. The side of human responsibility. We need to receive Jesus. We need to believe in Jesus. But also the side of divine sovereignty. They are born not of human decision, but they are born of God. I think it's one of the wonderful things about John's gospel that we see these themes of human responsibility and divine sovereignty woven right through the gospel in almost every page, in every story. Jesus is calling people to come to him, believe in him, drink of him, follow him. But all the time he's also saying that none of this is possible in human strength. It doesn't come from human wisdom but it's only possible by the recreative energy, the power of God, the same power that brought the world into being is the power that is needed to change somebody 
from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, to use the imagery of Ezekiel. Originally, when I was thinking about this sermon, I thought of calling this third point, the children of God. I thought of simply calling it the Son of God. Maybe that's pushing a bit what the language is saying, but I think that's the truth that lies behind this, that this passage is also talking about Jesus. You see how it says, to those who believed in his name, and we'll find through the gospel that that name is the name of the Son of God. At the end of verse 20, John tells that he has written this book that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing have life in his name. So it's all about the name of the Son of God. And then verse 13 has often been taken as a, a way of reading John just hinting at the virgin birth. So again, it's speaking about this Jesus, the eternal son born of a virgin. Then in verse 14, and of course right through the gospel, Jesus is the one and only son, the only begotten son. You see, I think this is very important. Jesus is the son of God. And Jesus is the son who enables us to become sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. John is very careful to make it clear that the sonship of Jesus is different from ours. He's the only begotten son. We are simply children. But still, he is the son who enables us to become children of God. Most amazing thing that the Son of God should invite us to share in the privileges of his relationship with the Father, that we might be family with him and with the Father and with the Spirit, that we might be able to call ourselves sons and daughters of God. There's another way to think about this new year, that we are part of a bigger family than the families that hopefully we got gathered together at Christmas time, enjoyed spending time together as a family, perhaps an extended family. But here we remember today that we are part of a much larger extended family. And that family is not simply Christians on earth and Christians in heaven, but a family that means that Jesus is our brother and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is our God and Father too. Let's commit ourselves as a New Year resolution to remember that we are family and to live together as the family of God. And then fourthly, the flesh of God. We come to verse 14. The amazing words about the reality of the Incarnation that we've been thinking about, no doubt, over recent weeks. The Word became flesh. John wants us to feel that language and to see that reality. The eternal Word became flesh. He uses very strong language that 
would have shocked some of the people who were reading him. But he wants them to know that Jesus is a real human being, body and blood, soul and mind and emotions and affections and will. The word really did become flesh and move into this world and live among us as one of us. But John is also doing something else in this verse. He is saying that the word became flesh in a particular way for a particular reason. No doubt you've often had pointed out to you that made his dwelling among us is the language of the tabernacle or the temple. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And you see the language of glory there as well. And you think of the tabernacle and the glory filling the tabernacle. And what John is saying is that when Jesus came into this world, he came to be the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple of God. As the tabernacle was God living in a tent and identifying with people. So Jesus is the supreme identification of God, not just in a tent, but in human flesh, taking a human nature to himself. And as the tabernacle was full of ritual and sacrifice, so Jesus has come to fulfill all of that, to be, as John the Baptist will soon point out in chapter 1, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as the tabernacle was at the center of Israel's camp with various tribes on north and south and east and west, so John is surely saying that Jesus is the central tabernacle. We are all to live our lives with Jesus at the center. The whole church is called to have Jesus at the center. In heaven above, they have Jesus in the midst of the throne at the center of everything. Jesus is the tabernacling presence of God at the center, come to fulfill all that the tabernacle and temple look for, come to be the glory of God shining in this world full of grace and truth. And John will show this being fulfilled in the various feast stories that he tells, but also and I think I'll just finish with this particular detail. So important for the Gospel of John. See the language here of tabernacle and of glory. And I'm saying Jesus comes to fulfill the sacrifices. Well, John uses this language of glory as the story goes on to speak especially about the cross. Jesus, in a strange way, is going to be glorified is going to reveal his glory on the cross, according to John's gospel. And I think that's what John is hinting at here. In the tabernacling Jesus, in the sacrificial Jesus, in the fulfilling Jesus who moves to the cross, we see glory of grace and truth. And we will see that glory supremely, full of grace and truth when Jesus hangs on a cross, dying for our sins. Was there ever a sight more glorious? Was there ever a sight that demonstrated 
the grace and truth, the mercy and faithfulness of God so clearly as the Son of God on that tree for me and for you and for our sins. It's horrific, yes, but also glorious as in it God shines in all his grace and truth and says, this is me in the flesh taking your sins and taking them away in the blood of my Son. So here we've seen the Word of God. We're called to worship Him. We've seen the light of God. We're called to stay close to Him and walk in His light. We've seen the children of God. We're called to be family in His name. And we've seen the flesh of God. We're called to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and especially in the story that takes him inexorably to the cross where the glory of the love of God shines as never, ever before. May Jesus be central in our lives today and in our lives throughout this year. And as you work through the Gospel of John, may you see more and more of the glory and the depth and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.